This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to Bartender Journey Podcast number 138. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thank you for listening. Well, I'm calling this episode Pisco Academy. Pisco is the native spirit of Peru and Chile, and it's made from grapes. Uh, so it could be considered a brandy, but uh, it's usually, but not always, clear or unaged. And uh, we're going to learn all about it with Capa Pisco brand ambassador Anne Louise Marquis. If you remember, we spoke to Anne Louise before in episode number 121, uh, and that was about Gramanier. But uh, this time we're going to talk about Pisco. And the cocktail of the week is going to be a Pisco Sour. I followed the recipe on capapisco.com, which is two ounces of Capa Pisco, one ounce fresh lemon juice, one ounce simple syrup. I actually reduced that to three quarters of an ounce. And uh, one egg white. Shake vigorously with ice. Strain into a chilled coupe glass, or they, should, they suggest a champagne flute. And top that with a few drops of Angostura bitters for, for decoration and, and taste. So, drinks with egg whites. A lot of people will dry shake the drinks uh, with egg whites. That, you know, that is shake without ice first and then add the ice uh, and shake again. But when uh, dry shaking, I found that sometimes your two-piece shaker doesn't make a good seal. And I'm, I'm guessing that's because the tin doesn't contract from the cold like it, you know, like it does when it's ice cold. Uh, I once made a big mess and end up, ended up wearing the cocktail I was trying to dry shake. So I didn't like to do it, but in the name of science, I tried it again here in the cocktail lab, and actually it worked very well. The reason for adding egg white to your drink is to get a nice frothy head or foam on it, almost like a well-poured beer, uh, and it also adds a nice silky quality to the drink. And uh, as you'll hear in the interview with Anne Louise, I made a Pisco Sour the day I spoke with her, and instinctively I double-strained it. You know, I used a Hawthorne strainer and a fine strainer, which was a really stupid idea because it strained off most of the foam. The reason I like to double strain drinks that, uh, shaken drinks that will be served up, uh, is to get rid of any tiny little ice particles that are left in the tin after, after shaking, and, uh, they get right through the Hawthorne strainer. So, uh, I double strain, uh, instinctively, as I said, but, uh, don't do that with a, with a drink, if you're looking for that foam on top of the, uh, uh of the drink, don't do that. But I, it really got me wondering about this dry shake thing and why Why do we do that? Is it a good idea? Does it work? So with most things bar-related that I'm not sure about, I wanted to know what Jeffrey Morgenthaler had to say about the subject. So on today's episode, we're going to mix things up a little. Sorry, that's really bad bartender humor. Uh, but we're going to listen to the great interview with Anne Louise, and then we're going to re-explore the cocktail of the week. I'll do some experimenting with different methods and uh, jump further into this issue of egg whites and cocktails. I'll tell you what I learned from Jeffrey Morgenthaler reading his uh, books and some online uh, articles. So that'll be after the interview. Hey, right now we're listening to I Snot, I Lost by Dr. Turtle. And it's a beautiful song despite the not-so-beautiful name. Thanks, Dr. Turtle. All right, interview coming up, but first, Book of the Week. It's Food and Wine Cocktails, 2015 edition. This is a great book. It comes out every year from the editors of Food and Wine magazine, and uh, I have all the books going all the way back to 2008, I think. No, 2007. Uh, American Express sent me an offer to get this book uh, years ago, and and uh, now it comes every year, and they charge my American Express card for it. <laughs> But I'm glad I did it. Uh, they're great books, and the recipes are all from top bartenders all around the U.S., and they mix in some classic recipes as well, but uh, a lot of original uh, recipes, and you get to see kind of what's what's trending year to year and uh, what, what's becoming popular, what the trends are. So uh, there's some great innovative recipes in here and beautiful photos, and it'll make a great addition to your cocktail book collection. If you go over to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link for it, and that 
I'll click you through to Amazon where you can buy it. And by clicking on any of the Amazon links on bartenderjourney.net and doing some shopping in Amazon, you'll be helping out the show a little bit. You don't have to buy that specific book, uh, anything you buy, in fact, from Amazon after clicking through to Amazon from Bartender Journey helps out the show a little bit, and it doesn't cost you any extra. All right, let's get to that talk with Anne Louise Marquis and learn all about Pisco. And don't forget to stay tuned to the very end of the show. We do a toast, uh, and in today's edition, we're going to be talking more about uh, the cocktail of the week, the Pisco Sour, and how egg whites uh, in your cocktails, uh, what's the best way to do it, and how it affects the drink. That's coming up after the interview. Now, here's my talk with Anne Louise. How you been since the last time I spoke to you? I've been good. I've been good. I've been running around a lot. Yeah. A lot of uh, traveling um, this last couple. I guess I talked to you before Tales, huh? Yeah, it was just before. We never did run into each other down there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we may have. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, there, there's so, there's like, a few lapses in my memory, I must admit. Well, yeah, and it's just there's so many people. I know. So How are you people. supposed to remember? I know, I know. That's why that's why I bring my little audio recorder and I try to record everything and then I can relive it. So we're gonna talk about Pisco today. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I don't I don't know a heck of a lot about it. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, I can't see you. Oh. That's probably now you should be able to see me. Oh, there you are. Yay. Yeah. Cheers. Hi. Well, I, I'm I mixed up a Pisco sour while I was waiting. Oh, Cheers. delicious. <laughs> nice. So, with our with our kappa? Mm-hmm. Nice. So what you'll notice with with our kappa is that it's very floral. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really aromatic. It's really um, delicate. It's a really beautiful piece gum. Yeah, it's it's great. You know, I, I somehow I got cinnamon right off the bat. I don't know where that came yeah. from. Yeah, yeah, you can, I, you can with your yeah. Especially when I mean, you start to mix of, with, There's a lot of Angostura in there too. Maybe, maybe that, might <laughs> <laughs> that might but be why. But I never noticed cinnamon in, in Angostura before. You know. Oh well, no, I mean, there's different. there's like. 120 or something ingredients, right? Yeah, right. Oh, that's that's probably one of them. It's pro- I would we'll guess. never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Somebody was telling me he was down there at Angostura. Oh, Jason Cousins, you know him? Yeah. He, uh, he he told me he was down at Angostura, and uh, he said, you know, obviously we know them for their bitters, but the rum is right. a huge part of their business, more so, much, much more so than the, the bitters. And he said, so there's this little room with a locked door, you know, it says bitters on it or something and they're like <laughs> said like no entry keep out go away or something you know it was like so secret it's very it's very secret i mean you have to protect like our our master blender i i ask him the questions that people ask me and he goes he just looks at me so seriously and goes you want my job <laughs> like you know how much of this is in what or how you know where does you know where does this come from or how right. do you blend this he's like no no it's a secret <laughs> So it's a great way out for me. When I don't know an answer, I go, you want my job? <laughs> yeah, right. I might use that. I'm going to write that down <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> well, Pisco is a uh, grape, is a uh, brandy, basically, yeah? Clear. Yeah, so it's a, it's a grape brandy made in South America, either in Chile or Peru. Mm-hmm. So it's a um, recognized AOC, DOC, even in the U.S. Um, they recognize both Chile and Peru as making Pisco, um, but they're so, so vastly different. Um, I almost, I wish you had another, another variety with you just to taste them side yeah. by side. They're so night and day, mm-hmm. um, but they are both made from grapes. And they, then that's sort of where the similarities end in terms of 
of kind of their rules and regulations and how they make them. There's another grape-based product um, called Singani, which is also made, but it's made in Bolivia. Um, but because it's not Chile or Peru, they can't call it pisco. Ah, okay. So it's interesting how the how the laws and the rules work and the traditions formed. But at the very beginning, when the the Spanish brought the Spanish brought pisco basically because they brought the the grapes. Mm. Grapes aren't indigenous to South America. Um, so the first Spanish settlers, as they were coming across to for glory for their for their queen and looking for <laughs> gold and silver, um, brought with them missionaries, and the missionaries established the first vineyards uh, to make wine for the mass for, for mass for the masses. Uh, yeah, as they were establishing their missions. Okay. So when that happened, and I'm always really specific about this, and really like to hammer this home, <laughs> is that when they did that the whole, all of South America was under, under Spanish rule. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't divided between Peru and Chile. and Bolivia. It wasn't, it was all one country. Oh, okay. Um, it was right. all called the Vice Royalty of Spain. And then the Vice Royalty of Peru was Peru, the top of Peru to the very south of Chile. Mm-hmm. So, and then cutting into a little bit of Bolivia, a little bit of what's Argentina now, um, was all one country. So when people start to go, we own Pisco, we own Pisco, I say, well, in the beginning, it was all one country. Ah, okay. Um, and no one, I mean, the Spanish brought the grapes. Right. But that's, uh, the Spanish brandy is almost always aged, isn't it? It, it, it is. Yeah. Typically, Spanish brandy is aged. We don't do that in South America. Uh, we can in Chile. We're allowed to per uh-huh. our AOC. Um, in Peru, you're not allowed to. Okay. Um, it was originally developed um, in the same way cognac was and brandy was developed in general. Um, you would distill a little bit of your wine and put it in to fortify your wine for long journeys. Mm. Um, but they realized that, well, a few things happened. But one, the first thing that happened was this, the Spanish winemakers got threatened by the South American winemakers. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so they pushed the government to basically make an embargo and say no more Spanish, no more South American wine is allowed in Spain. Oh. So... Then internally in South America, they said, fine, then we'll just trade amongst ourselves. And it was way easier to, instead of making wine, just make Pisco because you could ship it much easier for, in terms of like volume per alcohol content. Um, and the reason you don't see aged Piscos very often is because there's no oak trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no pearls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what they would do is they would ship it in these um, clay amphora that were lined with wax, these wax on the inside, and that they were called Piscos. Okay. These containers. Um, so maybe Pisco gets its name from the container. Okay. Um, maybe they wrote the port of Pisco on it because that's where it was being shipped, usually shipped through and from if it was going anywhere. So maybe they called it Pisco because it's what's said on the bottle. Okay. <laughs> um, some people say it's named after the bird that's indigenous to Peru. I don't know. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot of kind of speculation. I've read five about 500 different accounts of why it's called each one and i don't really know mm-hmm. so, so is, yeah, is so, that yeah. the um, traditional way to drink it in um in south america is in a sour or is it sometimes drank drunk neat or well, on the rock i think is really interesting is that pisco so the pisco punch is the first known pisco cocktail mm. and that appears in san francisco during ah. the gold rush oh the pisco sour doesn't show up for another Oh God, I'm going to get another few decades okay. um, in Peru. I'm going to get my dates wrong. So um, it doesn't show up for another few decades in Peru. So the traditional way of drinking it, I don't know because we didn't have cocktails. The idea of yeah. a cocktail, a mixed drink didn't really, didn't really come into play yet. Yeah. So 
you know, I imagine the reason Pisco became so popular in South America and became the, the, the basically the alcohol, the currency that they would trade around was because there was a large mine, very large silver mine in Bolivia. And it, at, the, at the moment that that was discovered, it became the richest place in the world. Hmm. It's what built Spain and the empire of Spain was this uh-huh. silver mine. And so that's all, everything went to that silver mine all the Pisco. And so I imagine they were drinking it any way they possibly could. (laughs) (laughs) But today, typically, it's in a Pisco sour. So um, Peruvian style tends to be with uh, lime and simple syrup and egg white. Um, Chilean style tends to be lemon, um, simple syrup, and no egg white. Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit different culturally. Um, I've had a Pisco, Pisco sours in improving style, usually like in a coupe or a martini glass. Yeah. Um, and when I was in Chile, we drank Pisco sours in a, in a champagne flute. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I took this recipe from the Capo uh, website. But, you know, I, te- I, I tend to double strain everything. And maybe that's not the way to do it in this case, because I lost a lot of the foam on top, you know, going I, through the fine strainer. I feel like this is such a nerdy thing to say, like developing a relationship with egg whites and figuring out yeah. how egg whites work is yeah. a is a lifelong. I've had some of the top bartenders make me drinks with egg whites that fell flat. You know, yeah. they just it's so I've actually learned it. I guess they did these studies, which is super nerdy. And that if you reverse dry shake it, so if you shake it wet first and then you strain it and then you shake it again, oh, okay. you get a That's worth better a egg white foam on top. Oh, I like that. Instead of shake dry shaking and then adding ice and yeah. then straining, it's like you reverse the process. Oh, I got to give that a try. Yeah. I it's, like that. it's more effective. You can really get that egg white. Also, the other thing I do is I'll take the, um, the coil off of my strainer, off of my Hawthorne strainer, and throw that in the tin mm-hmm. and shake it, and it turns like into an egg beater. Right, right. Yeah, that's nice. a good trick. Yeah. This is some bottle here. What's the, uh, what's the story with that? So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's our fancy bottle. <laughs> um, so, Kappa is a, is a clear spirit. Pisco is a clear spirit. We're a, a cognac making family. So, I think we were really excited to be making a clear spirit, um, which is why we have those panels on the side so you can really see the liquid. Yeah. So where we make Pisco in the Elki Valley is the clearest night sky in the Southern Hemisphere. So there's more um, observatories there than anywhere else in the world in the, in the Southern Hemisphere looking up at the stars. Nice. Um, and so we really wanted to honor the terroir, to honor the place name of where our Pisco is from in some way. And so the way we did it was actually to honor the stars that nice. shine above. Uh-huh. Um, so Kappa is Kappa Crucis, which is the, the, it's a small constellation in the Southern Cross which was there navigating, you know, when we used to navigate by the stars, mm. was their northern star. They had the Southern Cross. Okay. And so Kappa Crucis is this, is this constellation. It's the hardest to see in this guiding constellation. But when you do look at it through a telescope, it's, they call it the jewel box because every star is a different color. <laughs> so we wanted to name it after that. Um, and then we painted the bottle midnight blue to represent the midnight blue sky. Mm. So... It's a it's a kind of a weighty history for a <laughs> for a bottle, but it all comes together. It all tells the story of Kappa and where we're from. Oh, it's blue. I thought it was black. Yeah, actually, I it's guess like it, you look at it really close. It's like almost shiny. Like there's yeah. shimmering light in there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cool. So if we taste this neat, what are we gonna taste? So if you what taste kind of it neat, what I, I love about Kappa, I didn't like Pisco, and then someone had me try this, and I was like, oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it so much. I became a Pisco fan because of it. So what our Pisco is, is very floral, first and foremost. It's 100% Muscat grapes, mm. Rosé and Alexandria. Those two varietals blended together. We use over 30 different vineyards. We distill them all separately, and then we blend them together to make Kappa. So you'll taste all those floral notes that are very present in a Muscato. You'll taste, um, this is actually really silly to say, but it's, you'll taste grapes. Yeah. 
<laughs> and a lot of Pisco, you don't taste great. Yeah. You taste earth and dirt and sort of a roughness. Um, you'll taste alcohol, but you won't necessarily taste the actual juiciness of those grapes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I taste, I smell a lot of like, like roses and jasmine. Um, it's, it tastes almost a little sweet to yeah. me. I think it's, it's very, um, it's very feminine in its presentation. It's very kind of elegant and delicate. It's what very, else? It is very well. It is very floral and um, aromatic. I mean, the the yeah. first taste of my tongue there, I like. Am I drinking gin? <laughs> yeah, it's really close to a gin. It's, it it is. That's what we, we. I tell people. I go. Look, this is. You can mix this like a gin because it has so much aromatics to it. Yeah, it really does. I get the grapes absolutely, mm-hmm. like the, uh, the Moscato. Yeah, like Moscato wine, or even those Concord grapes. You know, that you pick off the vine yeah. and taste. You know, yeah, in the like summer, juicy, juicy grape. Because mm-hmm. you don't taste that in brandy. When you drink brandy, you don't taste the grape. It's not the same. This is we're using such sweet aromatic grapes that you get this result. But and yeah, it is like, very. It, it's delicate, and um, mm-hmm. you could almost use it like a uh, Saint Germain almost. You could. So I, when I do my trainings and stuff, I tell people to mix kappa with anything except a floral liqueur. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> there's enough flowers in there. Yeah. So it brings some of that that floral note to it. So I I love mixing it with cucumber with basil mm. with mint um it's great obviously in a sour it's great in a pisco punch with um, pineapple juice um but i really i also love mixing it with like other grape stuff so vermouth doing like a martini mm. um it's great with champagne and like a french se- i do a french 75 with it that's really great mm-hmm. uh, it's really really versatile yeah, yeah, I think anything. Yeah, anything. Any gin cocktail you could really substitute this. Yeah, pretty much any gin cocktail you can you can play around with it. Like I don't do a Negroni with it. I do something similar, but I use Aperol instead. Mm. And I use a like a Bianco or a or a dry vermouth. Okay, because it's it's a little more delicate than gin. Gin has that can have all those really those really full floral botanical flavors. This is a little bit lighter, so I try and use something a little lighter. Like the Aperol is a little bit more delicate, mm-hmm. um, and then they play really beautiful together. It's my my boss's favorite drink, so I end up <laughs> <Nice>. drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> What's our ABV here? Forty two point five. Forty two point five. Uh-huh. So it's a little bit higher than kind of your standard forty percent. Um, it packs a little more punch. You know, you don't have to use necessarily two ounces in a maybe in a shaken drink. You can use an ounce and a half, um, mm-hmm. which is you know depending on cost, sometimes a good thing for my for my bartenders out there. Yeah, and what's what's this word in front of Chile here? E L Q U I. Elki. So Elki Valley is where we make uh, our pieces. Oh, okay. It's our terroir. Um, there's only. It's not just in Chile that you can make pisco. There's only certain regions that you can make pisco. So this is one of the regions. Um, it's. Kind of, it's right at the at the bottom of the Atacama Desert, which is the largest, second largest desert besides like Antarctica in <laughs> South America. So it's this huge, huge expanse of of nothingness. It's where this is a weird fact. It's where the Chilean miners got stuck. Oh yeah, not far from where we make our pisco. <laughs> oh. Well, I hope you. I hope they uh, got some once I got out. <laughs> so I can tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you've uh, so you've been down there, I suppose. I have. I have. I got to go down last year and it was beautiful. It's the magnetic center of the earth. It's, it, I want to say it's directly opposite to, say it's Tibet. That's hmm. right. I don't know. So it has this very intense magnetic pole. It's this really beautiful place. It's sort of crazy to be in a desert and they're growing grapes everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's really, really dry, but they get all the snow melt from the mountains. Uh which is how they're able to grow the grapes. Plus the grapes have to fight really hard. And so they're very, very sweet. 
it's not Chile is one of the number one importers or exporters of table grapes, mm-hmm. but we grow those all in the south where it's like rainy and wet all the time and gross. And uh-huh. um, but up in the north, it's very very dry. Uh-huh. Um, and it's you know it's funny. I, I showed up to the distillery and I was like, "Where's the welcome center?" <laughs> We don't There's do no that. welcome center. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a corrugated steel building with this gorgeous French cognac still. So we're the only pisco to be made in a French cognac still. Um, because of our heritage with the Marnier family, that that only made sense. And so, yeah, so I walked in and it's like, it's like you know, there's like dogs outside and like dirt everywhere. We're in the middle of nowhere. Um, and there's just these like three really talented guys making our pisco um, every day, you know. Uh, on the on the still and doing all the work and um, it's it's not ostentatious. <laughs> it's like humble beginnings. For the, it's, it's, so this brand is the pet project of Alexandre Marnier's son Charles de Bournay. So he's going to be he's seventh generation in the Marnier family, and this wow. is his foray into building a brand on his own, following in the family footsteps. Okay, wow. So so how long, be- how long has this brand been made? So it's been is about. It- Oh my god! I keep saying two years, but I think it's now been like three years because okay. I've been on the brand. So yeah, about three and a half years. Uh-huh. It's, been, um, it's doing really well. I think Pisco in general is is really on the rise. Yeah. Um, both well, people are so interested in discovering new yeah. things now, which is great. You know, it used to be people always drank their you know Jack and Coke, and that was it. You know, but now I think people are really interested in learning new things. You know, it's great. I think also these great based like sherries and vermouths um, and piscos um, are, and then like mezcal, it's kind of South American Latin spirits are becoming more and more popular because now we all we all know about bourbon now. So right. now we're like, what else is there? Yeah, and pisco is kind of on the rise, which makes me really happy because it's so delicious. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's interesting that the uh, the mezcal craze maybe is uh, is feeding uh, interest in pisco. Yeah, I mean, so Leyenda opened, and they're a South American, you know, focused bar. Just yeah. Ivy Mix opened it, and um, and there's she put you know two Kappa cocktails on the menu, but it's right next to all the mezcal. It's all, all these things kind of help the mezcal and the tequila help bring it up. Um, but peace goes right there with it. And this, uh, I don't know what this, uh, goes for, but I, I assume it's a little more accessible, uh, price point wise than mezcal or. Oh, um, <laughs> well, it depends. It depends. <laughs> it depends what mezcal you're buying. Yeah. But, um, I want to say our price point in the stores is depending what state you're in and everything. I think it retails in the 30 something range, mm-hmm. 20 to 30, 25 to 35 sort of range it should be in. Sometimes it's a little higher, sometimes a little lower. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, but it, it's approachable, it's affordable. Um, yeah, it's easy to mix with. You can really, I mean, if you're playing with it around like at home, it's really easy to come up with stuff to play with it. It doesn't, it's yeah. kind of hard to mess up. <laughs> right. <It's nice. laughs> like if you're working with other spirits, you can really easily mess it up. But this one, right. you can kind of mm-hmm. have some, yeah, and it helps you. Like vodka doesn't help you. Mm-hmm. I feel like pisco helps you make the drink better. Yeah. Oh, this would be great with um, you know, some fresh berries or something. Yeah, oh, totally. Delicious. I do a jasmine green tea with it, a green tea syrup with that, and fresh raspberries and lemon. Hmm. Awesome. It's one yeah. one thing I've never experimented with is uh, tea and cocktails. I've got to get around to doing that. <laughs> it's it's pretty cool what what you can. I mean, there's it's. I mean, it's like the final frontier. There's so much tea out there. Yeah. There's so many different things. You know, you can go to the Chinese green teas. You can do, you know, uh, like, what am I thinking? Middle Eastern teas. You can do Southeast Asian teas. There's so many different flavors. You can pull out of a hibiscus, mm. um, dried flowers and dried fruits um, to make a syrup or an infusion with. Ivy's Pisco, Kappa Pisco, 
sour, she puts a yerba mate in the pisco. Mm. And it <laughs> makes it kind of like dry and earthy. But right. it keeps all those characters of the of our pisco as well. So it's, it's really nice. And it, it makes a drink that's kind of, it's more complex and it's um, less sweet. Mm-hmm. It pull, the tea kind of pulls, and it pulls out the sour too, because that's what tea does. Um, and and tea's it's really, so, tea's so like, tannic usually. So yeah. that, I mean, that's another tool I guess you could use or another, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. Exactly. Another dimension you could add to it. Has anyone ever done a podcast in their hotel room bed? <laughs> <laughs> the last time we talked, you were in a hotel lobby. Remember? I live in hotels. I just Where realized how you? cute this seem to your watch. No, I couldn't even tell you were in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting on the bed. I'm, not yeah. like, I'm wearing all my clothes. <laughs> Where are this you? Is a, this is an R-rated. Um, I am. I don't know if you can see it. I'm in San Diego oh, today. Nice. Sunny day out there. Wow. It's pretty boats and um we're here i'm here for two more days i was at applebee's yesterday which was super cool to get <laughs> really? it was just so funny like but it was really cool to get behind the bar at applebee's and make them drinks <laughs> really <laughs> and the thought that i might have some say in like a drink that gets on the menu at applebee's is yeah. thrilling <laughs> i haven't been in an applebee's and i won't tell you how many years I'm long done you know but i have to say they're <laughs> they're changing and they're growing and they're starting to use fresh juices and they're understanding the market is changing um and it's, they're getting, I, I have my own perception of Applebee's yeah. as well, but I am really impressed by their commitment to growing and changing. Yeah. yeah. Well, TJ Fridays did it, so. Yeah. Oh, there's a, awesome, they're, um, it's like the perfect Friday margarita at uh, TJ Fridays. Yeah. It's with fresh lime juice and Grand Marnier and tequila, and it's awesome. I went in one day, and they, I, I don't know what I was doing there, but because... <laughs> I mean, every experience I had in a TGI Fridays in the past was not great, but um, I heard they were doing good things at the bar. I guess I wanted to check it out. And, they are. Uh, but anyway, I, they had a, um, a, a drink with uh, bourbon, fresh mm-hmm. lemon juice, and yep. um, and honey syrup. It yeah. was great. They're doing it. They're switching over. They're, I mean, it's you can tell that that's the trend, which is which is really cool that we're going to all have fresh, you know, natural ingredients in our drinks now. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing is the, they'll be bringing that to you know all through America, you know, it's not That's just exciting. Like I, w- I would love to see the end of, um, my biggest pet peeve is that, um, bottled simple syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Why? It's like finest call simple syrup. And people are like, no, no, we have simple syrup. And they hand me that. And I go, and I just, I, every time I lose it, I'm like, this isn't simple syrup. <laughs> this is high fructose corn you- syrup. And besides, do you know how easy it is to make? That's what, that's what blows my mind. It's like, it's actually cheaper and easier to just make, Simple syrup. Yeah. You can do it because it's simple is in the name. <laughs> and I just go on a tirade every time. It's so I just, every time I see it, I'm like, I can hear it in myself being like, don't do it. Don't do it. Trash can. Facebook every, I'm like, oh, I hate this stuff. It makes me so angry. So I'm excited that the trend in general, especially in these like large chain restaurants is moving towards natural, real, better products. Anyway, I'm off topic, but um, it's exciting what's happening in the cocktail world. It is. Are you going to uh, San Antonio cocktail conference? Is that after? Is that it's, in 2016? Yeah, January. I have not started thinking about 2016. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that far. January is not that far off, oh, unfortunately. Sh- 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 <laughs> I just, Portland Cocktail Week nearly killed me. Oh, uh, I didn't make it. Like, just trying to make it through the end of the year. And then I'll <laughs> But I, I imagine I'll 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 be there because I've always wanted to go. I've never been to Texas, really. I drove through it one time, but it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear it's awesome, so I'm really looking forward to being there. Are you going to be there? 
I, I'm I'm planning to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you gonna come to Tampa for Repeal Day? No, I mean maybe. <laughs> Tampa, come to Tampa. They're this gigantic. Oh, Repeal Day is uh, uh, December. It's December six or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have a big party there in Tampa. A big fancy party. It's so Tampa kind of unpredictably has one of the most active passionate groups of bartenders like you and most active usbg communities uh-huh. um and they throw this big fun party and people come from all over and dress up and it's really cool mm, that does sound fun tempting yeah. tempting Where <laughs> well, do you look into it. Where are you? new york oh you're in new york oh yeah come to tampa yeah you'll want to be in tampa by the end of by december what's that you'll want to be in florida by december oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> today, today it's uh, like seventy-five degrees. Amazing. That's what I heard. I'm so excited to come home. <laughs> oh, you finally finally making it home for a change. Wednesday, oh. Wednesday I get to come home. Oh, good. Do you want me to tell you the the general differences between Chilean and Peruvian? Yeah, great. Is that helpful? Okay, so major disclaimer: this is broad stroke, uh-huh. broad stroke pisco education. But I present this with Encanto, and we we share that we talk about this, and um, these are sort of the the main talking points. So there's three things. So the, the main differences in their, their DOCs is that the grapes are different. So mm. in a very broad sense, Chilean Pisco tends to be more aromatic, mm. aromatic grapes. We use muscat and um, typically. Um, Peruvian Pisco tends to be non-aromatic. So they use Torontal and Quebranta, which are, tend to be less aromatic um, and more dry kind of grapes. That's Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is distillation. So um, Chilean Pisco can be distilled as many times as we want. Okay. Peruvian Pisco can only be distilled once. Really? Yeah. So we at Kappa distill ours twice because we're a French cognac company. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, our heritage is in cognac. So we distill twice because that's the way we've always done it. Uh-huh. Um, but Peruvian Pisco can only be distilled once. Um, other Chilean Piscos will distill in a column still and they'll distill eight, 15, whatever times, uh-huh. um, depending. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, Chilean Pisco, there's more Chilean Pisco produced, but they sell it internally. Peru produces less, but exports more. Mm. So people are more familiar with Peruvian Pisco in the U.S. Okay. Um, and then the third, the third big difference is that Chilean Pisco were allowed to take a cut and add water back in okay. to bring it to proof. Right. So we can take a smaller cut of the heart and add water back in and just use that part. Mm-hmm. Peruvian Pisco can't add anything back in. Hmm. So they have to use their heads and tails, which are lower ABV, to balance out their core heart. Right. Um, and what that results in is more earthy, more intense, more rough flavors, typically. But hotter, too. Um, right? Hotter, too, right? Well, they have to bring it to that ABV, though. So they're, they're in and around the 40 to 42 range, but they're using heads and tails. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, it tastes, it tastes more alcohol. It yeah. tastes more, um, it tastes more intense, honestly. Yeah. I remember but, sampling some during tales this year and it was it, it, quite different. You know, it was, yeah. I, I mean, totally I would different. definitely say it was hotter. It was less, yeah. less aromatic. Um, yeah. So those, those, and then you can see why those things like, oh, if we just took the heart, we just added water back into that one little mm-hmm. choice cut versus having to kind of, they do an amazing game. And, and I mean, Encanto specifically does such a beautiful job of blending their Pisco's. Um, to make them very elegant still, even though they're still using the, the heads and tails in there to get it to the right ABV. Um, but, and I, I stress this every time I talk about Pisco, is that both are great, both are totally valid, both are, are really wonderful in different uses. So some drinks are better with some, some drinks are better yeah, than the, sure. with others. Yeah, yeah. And 
they're both seeking to express terroir. Mm. They're both showing where they're from and who they are and expressing their identity, um, right. which I think is really valuable because people start to get up in arms and they go, look, like both are trying to do the same thing. <laughs> so let's celebrate them both. Sure. Um, and the, I have a lot of accounts that'll go, oh, we only need one piece go. And I say, that's like only having Laphroaig and saying that's whiskey, <laughs> right? you know, <laughs> or like only carrying a new American gin and saying, we'll never carry an English style gin. Like there's so much variety in the world of Pisco. I'm really looking forward to people getting into trying more and more of them um, and learning about all of it. Right. Yeah. Well, that'll come with people, people trying it. Obviously, you know, I can see a bar owner saying, I only need one Pisco, you know, not, not yeah. that many people call for it, you know? Right. But we're going to, we're going to move them along. Yeah. We're going to get more people calling. You and me. Education, man. That's what yeah. it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> I had someone text me that they heard me on the podcast. Oh, nice. Which was so cool. I was like, oh, great. I know. That's awesome. So hopefully more of your, your listeners will be inspired to try some Pisco. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I hope so. Well, it was a pleasure to see you again. Nice to see you again. Cheers. And I hope to Cheers. run into you. Uh, I hope to run into you in person. Yes. New I'll, York. Look into Tam- I'll look into Tampa, maybe. Yeah, come for Tampa. Um, yeah, and I'll see you around at some point soon over a cocktail. Absolutely. Cheers. Take Thank care. you so much. Isn't she awesome? I really enjoy speaking with her. Well, you heard Anne Louise ask me if I was going to the Tampa chapter of the U.S. Bartender Guild's Repeal Day event in Tampa. And uh, actually, after speaking with Anne Louise, I contacted the organizers and it turns out I am going. I'm excited. There's seminars and tastings and of course parties so uh, I can't wait. I don't think I've ever ever been to Tampa. Uh, So I'll be recording lots of audio while I'm down there to share with you all and uh, if you're interested in going or just getting more information about it, it's uh, repealdayparty.com for a good cause. Proceeds benefit the Tampa chapter of the USPG and also a charity called Because of Ezra, which helps kids with cancer. If you're going to be down there, let me know. Maybe we'll meet up for a cocktail and uh, you can get in touch with me uh, email brian at bartenderjourney.net So I leave for Tampa next week on Wednesday as I record this, so I'll try to get a show out next week, uh, but if not, sorry about that. I'll talk to you when I get back and I'll have lots of audio from Tampa. All right, like I said, make sure you stay tuned to the very end of the podcast for our weekly toast. But uh, like I said at the beginning, we're going to talk more about Pisco Sours and we're going to experiment with a few different methods. So first, let's talk about eggs and cocktails. Uh, Egg whites will add very little in the way of flavor to your drink. It's all about texture and the foam. Of course, we should probably talk a bit about uh, food safety. Uh, You want the freshest eggs you can get. Um, Best if you can get them at a local farm or a farmer's market. They'll be a lot fresher that way. And uh, just to be extra safe, though, with eggs from a farm, you might want to give them an extra rinse in cold water or or soak uh, in a bowl with cold water. Uh, I don't think they'll be sterilized in the same way as a commercial egg. Some guests might be grossed out by raw eggs in their cocktail, but uh, you better not try to hide it because, of course, some people are allergic to eggs, you know. In a bar setting, the ideal way is to prepare the egg whites ahead of time and keep them in a squeeze bottle. And you better keep that cold. Uh, Keep it in a cooler or an ice bath, you know, not under the bar somewhere at room temperature. And make darn sure you don't have any eggshells in your drink. Jeffrey Morgenthaler suggests in his book to crack them one at a time into a bowl examine for eggshells and then transfer into the squeeze bottle or whatever. If you have Jeffrey Morgenthaler's The Bar Book, uh, maybe read that section about eggs again. Uh, If you don't have that book, buy it. It's really uh, a great, great resource, and uh, I learned so much from that book. I'm a huge fan. Fanboy.
I'll put a link up to that book, too, on bartenderjourney.net in the posting that goes along with this episode. Uh, Jeffrey was a guest on this very podcast back in episode number 113, 113. So uh, go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it. And, uh, in fact, I might go look back and listen to it myself, come to think of it. If you have any trouble locating it, uh, you can go to bartenderjourney.net, and there's a little Google search bar on the upper right-hand side of the website, and uh, type in... Um, you could type in 113, and that'll bring you right to it. So I found one article that Jeffrey Morgenthaler wrote about uh, drinks with eggs in them, and he just very casually says in the recipe, one egg white, beaten. So beat the egg a little bit before adding any other ingredients. That was one of those, why didn't I think of that moments? So I gave that a try. Uh, he beats the egg white first, adds all the other ingredients, including the ice, uh, so no dry shake in that case. By the way, in that same article, Jeffrey has a recipe for a cocktail called the Kentucky Breakfast. That looks really good. I got to try that. Then, as I said, I consulted Jeffrey Morgenthaler's book, The Bar Book, to uh, read more about eggs and cocktails. And he doesn't mention in the book uh, beating the eggs first, but does do the dry shake. And he explains the reason for the dry shake. I must admit that I was never convinced about the dry shake, but uh, finally now I get it. Jeffrey explains the reason why you dry shake is not that anything magical happens when you shake without ice. It's just that you can shake it longer without over-diluting the drink. Aha, I get it now. So I made uh, better Pisco Sours this time. I did uh, no dry shake, so just uh, shake everything up with ice as normal. Then number two, with dry shake, so shake everything first, add the ice, and shake again. And then uh, Morgenthaler's method uh, from this article, uh, beat the egg first until foamy, add the rest of the ingredients, including the ice, and then shake again. Of course, with all of these methods, we'll strain with a Hawthorne strainer into a chilled coupe glass or champagne flute or whatever you like. Some people will throw the uh, spring from the Hawthorne strainer into the shaker for extra foaminess. And, uh, well, that can work. It's kind of a pain in the ass and makes a mess. So uh, I, I didn't do that one. But uh, there's also those little springy things. Uh, you know, if you get a, um, a, a shaker for your um, energy shake, and sometimes it'll come with a little spring ball. Uh, and so uh, that that's a good thing to do, too. Um, so they're, And they're cheap. Uh, I'll put a link up on bartenderjourney.net. And... Uh, I'll have to do further experimentation. I'll have to get one of those. So results of my experiment. Honestly, I didn't notice a huge difference uh, between the three. There was an incremental difference. Uh, the one that was just shaken with ice uh, as normal, no dry shake, uh, had the least amount of foam. Uh, the second one, dry shake, add ice, and then strain, had the uh, medium amount. And the third one where you beat the egg ahead of time, and then shake with ice uh, had the most, but it was not a huge, huge difference. And I kind of suspect that article that Jeffrey Morgenthaler wrote where he beat the egg ahead of time and whatever, that was in a magazine. And I think that was more aimed at the home, uh, you know, the home bartender, cocktail enthusiast, um, because it takes, takes a little bit longer. And uh, I think in his book where he mentions uh, using the dry shake, um, that's more aimed for the professional bartender so because it's a little quicker. So that that's my theory. And uh, and I should really experiment some more to, uh, to get better results. Uh, I, I should use bigger ice cubes because, as I said, um, in, in the beginning where I double-strained the cocktail to get out the little ice cube, the tiny little ice shards, it, it had that, which I didn't like. So uh, I need bigger ice cubes in, in the cocktail shaker, I think, for one thing. I think I could have used a little more egg white 
because I prepared the everything ahead of time. I wanted to to make the three drinks pretty quickly, so I uh, I made the egg whites. I, I think I used a little less uh, than one full egg white in each drink, so I think that affected the test as well. So uh, well, this could go on and on and on, but uh, anyway, experiment for yourself. Let me know. Get over to the Bartender Journey Facebook page and look for the posting that goes along with this show. It's going to be called Peace Go Academy, and uh, you can comment there and tell us uh, about how if you've done your own experiments or uh, what method you like to use. All right, we're going to do our toast in just a minute. But first, I'll tell you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thank you for listening. Feel free to get in touch for any reason at all, including sponsorship opportunities. We need a sponsor to make it out to San Antonio Cocktail Classics. So if you are if you represent a brand, please let me know, and maybe we can uh, work something out. There's also our tip cup page on bartenderjourney.net. And if you head over to iTunes, you can, you can leave some stars and some comments. That would really help out. Five stars is the most you can give. Be like B. Brown. Go to iTunes, search for Bartender Journey, and find the ratings and reviews tab. And leave five stars and say something nice like B. Brown did. Thank you, B. Brown. You can follow me on Twitter at barkeeptips. We've got so much great stuff coming up on Bartender Journey. I can't even keep track of it all. I have a lot of interviews already recorded and a lot more lined up, and I can't wait for you to hear it all. So make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or however you get your your podcasts. All right, it's time for our toast. For every wound, a bomb. For every sorrow, a cheer. For every storm, a calm. For every thirst, a beer. Cheers. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. (laughs) 